please join me, June, your host, while I hope to inspire you on your journey into the jazz realm here on your community radio station, WERU, 89.9 on the FM dial and WERU.org streaming worldwide. Let's get to some jazz, and I hope to catch you next time for Jazz Alchemy every Tuesday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. And thanks so much for supporting Community Radio. Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners. You make Community Radio possible. Thank you. local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Today we're going to be talking about the upcoming 2020 elections and the ongoing impeachment process and asking you to join the conversation. My guests today are Amy Freed and Ralph Chapman. Professor Amy Freed is the chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine. She also oversees the Maine Policy Scholar Program at UMaine and has researched and written extensively on public opinion. Ralph Chapman served four terms as a state representative from the Blue Hill area, first as a Democrat and then as an independent and finally as a Green Party member. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, Amy's joining us by phone. We have Ralph here in the studio and we'll have one phone line open for callers. In just a minute, I want to give uh, both of the guests a chance to just sort of kick things off here, since it's probably utmost in people's minds right now with a comment about the impeachment process. We'll do a brief one now because, you know, we could talk for at least the full hour about that. But just uh, your impressions so far of the impeachment process, whether it was the right thing to do and what you think of how the process is actually going. And Amy, do you want to start with that? Sure. I mean, what I would say is that, you know, if you just look at the Constitution and you look at the history of the impeachment clause, I really don't think there was any choice but to pursue an impeachment once the news came out about the whole situation with Ukraine basically trying to shake down Ukraine using taxpayer dollars for President Trump's domestic political purposes. So I think something had to happen. Um, and I'm not very moved by cynical people who will say, well, it doesn't really matter because the Senate won't do anything. I think there's times when it's still necessary to act um, and really it, it, it expo- to expose what's going on. And then it's up to, uh, you know, the political officials to decide what they're going to do. Do you have any thoughts about the process as it's unfolding with whether or not the House moved too quickly as they're being accused of or if their process was just completely shut down by being stonewalled about witnesses and how this next phase is shaping up? Well, I think, you know, certainly Speaker Pelosi and uh, some of the other House members had to make certain judgments about it. How much were they going to receive? And there certainly are arguments that they could have waited and tried to get more information, but we know that the whole court process has been extremely slow, um, and it really everything that's happening now doesn't really prevent them from continuing on and doing further investigation. And ultimately, we know historically, and Representative Schiff talked about that today, that 
past Senate trials, impeachment trials, have involved calling witnesses and getting new evidence, and the Senate can do that if it wants to do. Um, the fact that McConnell has been trying so hard to block it and Trump has been trying so hard to block witnesses and, and documents is pretty telling in and of itself. Ralph Chapman, your thoughts? Yes. Well, the responsibility for protecting our constitutional democracy does not rest with the citizens. The responsibility rests with elected officials. That was a very clear distinction that was put in place uh, even in the, the, the precursor to uh, the Constitution of the United States. Uh, Constitution of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts preceded that and was largely written by uh, John Adams, uh, and, and that was a very clear and um, uh, idea that it's the elected officials that have the responsibility for the protection of our constitutional form of government, and therefore uh, the, the processes of impeachment are, are a, a duty rather than uh, an option. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a duty for elected officials. Uh, the, the impeachment process in the state of Maine is a little bit different than the impeachment process at the federal level, but that is one that uh, I had to consider uh, when I was a legislator. In right, Maine's movement to impeach LePage, yeah. So how, how are they different? Well, uh, f first off, um, in the state of Maine, there's no case law. And the second is that the phrase in Maine's constitution, uh, uh, impeachment is for misdemeanor in office, where the word misdemeanor means uh, ill behavior. Um, that differs from the phrase that's in the United States Constitution, which is bribery, treason, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And there is case law that uh, has helped define some of the terms and processes of impeachment at the federal level, but not at the state level. So those are the, uh, the primary differences. But the concept of what impeachment is for was was poorly understood by my fellow legislators and, and poorly understood by me as well at the time. Um, I looked into it, and uh, the thing that I noticed was that the impeachment clause in the main constitution and the oath of office clause were the two and the only two places that affected every elected official in the state. Every elected official in Maine can be impeached, and, and every elected official in Maine is not allowed to take any official action unless and until they swear an oath or make affirmation um, uh, to support the constitutions of the United States and of the state of Maine as long as they're citizens thereof. So I'm still obligated as a citizen of Maine, having been an elected official, to uh, protect the Constitution, to, to, to support the constitutions of the United States and the state of Maine. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go ahead and give the phone number now. We'll continue our conversation, obviously, but we'll start taking calls if anybody wants to jump in. If you have questions for my two guests, again, this is Maine Currents, and the guests are Amy Freed, who is the, uh, a professor and the chair of the Department of Political Science at University of Maine, and Ralph Chapman. Many of you will know him around here. He was a four-term representative from the Blue Hill area. And the phone number is 469-6600. Again, 469-6600. We have just one phone line into the studio today, so if we have a, a caller joining us, you'll get a busy signal, but just hang tight. As soon as they hang up, the phone line will open again. We're going to be talking about impeachment, wondering what you all are thinking. If uh, folks who are listening out there have been watching, are you watching today? Are you going to be staying up all night to 
watch as this uh, unfolds over the next few days. And we'll also be talking about the 2020 elections. If you have any thoughts about that, if you want to call and let us know who you're voting for and why so far, what you're thinking of the candidates in the um, primaries. Uh, oh, sorry, I gave the wrong phone number. I gave the office number. I, it's 469-0500. Thanks, John Greenman, our engineer, who's always uh, on the ball in there. Call 469-0500 if you uh, have a question or comment about the impeachment and or the 2020 election. So, Amy, I know you are, you're joining us by phone because you are having your first day of classes up there at University of Maine today. Have, how much have you had a chance to listen in? I've uh, just gotten a little bit of a chance to listen in. It has been very busy. Uh, I saw a little bit of Adam Schiff's presentation and then just a touch of uh, one of the, the president's lawyer. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, the, the president's lawyer was saying things that simply were not true, really, when I was when I was hearing him, I mean, he was claiming that Republicans hadn't gotten a chance to question witnesses and when when it, it was being considered by the House, and that simply was not true. Um, and the Democratic presentation was very, very clear in laying out how previous impeachments had proceeded and the use of evidence in them. Because, you know, really the there's been an effort by Senator McConnell and others to just try to truncate this whole thing, prevent there from being witnesses, prevent a lot of documents from coming out. And at one point he was asking for a process where a lot of things were going to be presented essentially in the middle of the night. I mean, just really just trying to uh, keep this whole procedure from the American people and you know, makes it a lot harder for people to, to hear things. And it, it, I'd say one of the things about a process like that is it can be a learning experience for people, too. I mean, people have heard bits and pieces through the media. Some people have followed things more closely. But if you have a robust process and, you, and also have more information from witnesses who have been kept from from testifying, it, it's, it's going to add to what people know about what happens. And it can... It can shift opinions. Ralph, did you get a chance to listen at all today? Uh, not too much today, but um, I do want to make the comment that often we've heard that uh, the impeachment process is a political process as contrasted with the criminal justice processes. Uh, I'm sorry, did I, uh, th- 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 that one is a legal process and that one is a political process. Uh, and. I don't agree with that. Uh, they're both political and they're both legal, and indeed the impeachment process stems from constitutional law, which is, in some senses is more fundamental than statutory law that uh, operates in our criminal justice system. But uh, and, and both are political. Uh, obviously, the impeachment process involves the, the politics and that we're watching now. Uh, but the criminal justice system, most people's uh, entry into that uh, as if they're uh, accused of a crime is with a district attorney, and in our area that's a partisan um, publicly elected official. Uh, and it's hard to think of anything that's much more political than a partisan public election. So uh, uh, the distinction that one is legal and one is, is uh, political uh, is a distinction that I don't make. So we're, we're looking at, at – 
that combination of uh, legality and politics that uh, is is quite messy and and not well understood. I, this is a, a little bit uncustomary, but I'm going to ask our engineer John Greenman to jump on. He's holding up a sign and trying to tell us something about Susan Collins. So please yeah. just jump in. Well, thank you. I, yeah, my wife and I just got a response from Susan Collins. I think we contacted her last week sometime. Or, and she just wrote, a, I just received it, said under no circumstances will she be uh, in favor of subpoenaing uh, any witnesses or information for this huh. trial. That, that's quite something. <laughs> well, there you have it. We may be the first uh, reporting that. I'm, I'm surprised it went out in sort of a form letter kind of style that she sends out to people. But yeah, there you go. So is it possible that uh, that you say this is a political and a criminal justice procedure? Is it possible that after he's out of office, uh, so according to Trump, he may never be out of office if he has his way. But if he is out of office at some point, he could be prosecuted criminally for some of these things? That he's oh. being charged with now? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely there. A president can be prosecuted for crimes committed in office when out of office. That that is, you know, that is definitely clear in the Constitution. Uh, the question, one of the questions, has been uh, whether you can be prosecuted criminally for something when you're when you're in office and. That's why uh, Mueller relied on a memo from the Office of Legal Counsel saying, no, according to their reading of the Constitution, you can't when you're in office. Uh, but uh, the Constitution clearly says that, that if someone is impeached, you know, they, if someone can be prosecuted afterwards. And, or someone, when someone's out of office, other ways someone is taken out of office, they can be prosecuted afterwards. So it's possible, you know, we know like with Richard Nixon, that he was an unindicted co-conspirator during the whole investigation when he was president. He did have to provide documents and answer subpoenas under U.S. v. Nixon. Those were the White House tapes. Um, and then he could have been prosecuted when he was out of office. But Gerald Ford, who became president, who had briefly been the vice president for Nixon, issued him a full pardon. Right. John, it looks like you have an update. Yeah, I do, and I sincerely apologize. This is the important thing about reading statements fully before you go, uh, you know, shooting uh, off your mouth. Um, I read, I will not support any attempts by either side to subpoena documents or witnesses. Well, I should have read uh, the full statement prior to hearing the statement oh, right. of the case yeah. and the mm -hmm. senators asking questions. Okay. So there's, okay. there, there, yeah, I, I take it all back, and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, thanks thanks for that, and thanks for the correction. And I think that's where she stood all along. I mean, that's this whole process that the Republicans have put in place now yeah. is that they're going to wait until the end before they decide if they want more information, right? Uh, that's my Chaffin. understanding, yes. Um, I, I think the processes here, it's important to know that uh, processes in government functions are, are important because oftentimes uh, the processes help steer uh, the, the policies or the conclusions that, uh, that government comes to at, at all levels. And uh, one of the secrets of the legislative process is that those processes and procedures are 
often uh, hidden, not only from the public, but they're hidden even from many of my fellow legislators who are unaware of some of the processes that were uh, working in the background to mm -hmm. uh, uh, through the legislature. Yeah, this would be an interesting time. Let me just tell people again that you are welcome to call in and join the conversation. The number is 469-0500. This is Maine Currents. My guests are uh, former State Representative Ralph Chapman and Amy Freed, Professor and Chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine. Amy, you've been uh, teaching all day. What kind of uh, what kind of impressions is this whole process making on your students? Are you hearing a lot from them about it? Well, I, I actually have not been in a class today. I've been dealing with uh, advisees and others. Oh, okay. Before the uh, last semester ended, um, I, at the, the, what, this, a lot of the students had, in some ways, like not as much interest as I think I have seen in the past for, uh, for these kinds of circumstances, interestingly enough. Um, I, I think um, they, I mean, I think they thought a lot of things were problematic that were going on. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's somewhat different than some, some past situations. I'm not really sure why. It may be the complexity of, of what's going on. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I had to sort of encourage people to <laughs> pay attention to what's going on because it is such an important historic moment. Right. You think and I think in a way that's where, you know, if you have a very robust trial, then that is something that is sort of inherently traumatic and will um, could could bring more interest. Right. Yeah, right. Well, you think students who want to study political science, obviously there are some that are there for credit, but there are some that are majoring would be uh, interested in this process. We do have a caller waiting. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Nancy from Deer Isle. Hi. Hi, Nancy. I'm, I'm calling with um, a logistical question about how to register people to vote. Um, and is there a place in a way that we can help that to happen starting now and not right before the election, please? All right. Thanks, Nancy. I'll uh, let you take your answer off the air so we tie, free up the phone line. And just to remind everybody, and I don't know if this is the case with Nancy, but uh, we do sometimes get some feedback, and it's especially bad if you are uh, have us on a speaker phone or if you have the radio on or are streaming us in the background. So you'll want to avoid those things. But the number into the studio, a phone line has just opened up, is 469-0500 if you have a question or comment. Who wants to take on that question? Ralph Chapman. Well, I'll begin. Uh, the uh, Secretary of State's office is uh, the part of state government that deals with voter registration. Uh, voter registration is done uh, in the local uh, town offices. Uh, a person can register to vote at any time. Um, a person can change their voter registration at any time, although there are some time limits uh, where that registration change has to be made prior to utilizing that in, uh, say, a primary election. Um, uh, but uh, I uh, it would in certainly encourage anyone and everyone to uh, uh, register to vote and uh, 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 for help in knowing how to do that, if, if nowhere else, uh, the, the Secretary of State's office. Are there rules around if you wanted to 
do some kind of voter enrollment campaign. How does that work? I mean, I know as certainly as possible to get voter registration cards and help to register people. Um, I've worked on that myself sometimes at, mm-hmm. at fairs and, uh, you know, different gatherings like that, at sitting at a table. Often the League of Women Voters is involved with that, but plenty of other groups as well. Um, it's just that you have to really look at the card and know what the person is supposed to include on the card, you know, just really walking people through. And, and groups can, will sometimes do trainings on that. Um, and I know there are also some organizations, as I think it's, there's, I just talked to a student, in fact, who was going to work with an organization called Next Gen, which is going to try to register people in high school because in Maine, if you're 17 years old, you can register to vote if you're going to be 18 at the time of the election. You could register like right now if you're going to be able to, you know, if you and vote in the November, if you're 18 at the time of the November election. So there's going to be some effort to, to do that. Uh, so, you you know, maybe the answer for Nancy is you can get involved with some organization that's already doing that. That's probably the best thing. But really, if you go to the, your town office, they should be able to give you some cards and maybe the town clerk would walk you through the process so that if you do register someone to vote that you know that you're doing it the right way, that you're helping them fill You know, they will fill out the card the correct way. And that website for the Secretary of State's office is maine.gov slash SOS. What do you think, each of you, about this, how the impeachment process may be impacting the upcoming 2020 elections? Is it just driving people further into their own camps? Is it, uh, I mean, it isn't done yet, so this obviously is subject to change, but as of right now, do you think that, what what do you think the impacts may be? Amy Freed, do you want to go first? Sure. I mean, I, I do think that the fact of polarization in this country is, is very, very strong, that people are in their own camps. They don't seem to be moving very much. Um, on the other hand, we are seeing very much that people want to hear witness testimony, and, and that's you know, around 70% overall in the population, strong majorities, of course, of Democrats, but also independents and even pluralities from Republicans. Um, So, you know, people do have a sense that that would be the fair thing to do and the right thing to do. And I think a process that seems to be blatantly unfair is, is going to be a negative for Trump and for Republicans who seem to go along with it. Um, you know, and, and there is also, um, you know, not overwhelming support at this point for removing Trump from office, but a little bit more support from that than compared to non-support. And the Washington Post had a piece today showing that battleground states and swing counties have higher support for moving, removing Trump from office than not. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so there's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's it's, I think it is a, a, a factor that's out there, and I think it also depends how much people continue to talk about it through the election, because we see, you know, lately it's, there's always some new issue that comes up that can drive things away. But I, I, I tend to 
think that in this situation, there's going to be quite a while where new information is going to come out, even when the impeachment process, per se, is over, um, because there are additional people who are bringing up information, who are talking to the press. Lev Parnas, who spoke uh, last week in a number of different media interviews, has said that he has some tapes with Trump on them, which, if that's true, will be quite remarkable. Um, you know, there just may be new documents that come out. John Bolton is publishing his book, and we don't know what that, what that will say, even if he doesn't end up testifying. So I think there's more information that will come out, and it can also be used by Democrats as part of a narrative in talking about Trump seeing himself as above the law, not subject to the rule of law, and involved with political corruption. So I think it, it's going to have some lasting impact. Ralph, did you want to weigh in on that? Yes, I, I think uh, it's that the fact that both uh, U.S. Representative Jared Golden and U.S. Senator uh, Susan Collins will be uh, on, on the ballot in Maine, uh, and both have vulnerabilities with respect to uh, the way in which they're handling the impeachment and the trial uh, is significant. Uh, I, I think they're, I think they're both um, trying to walk a very fine line somewhere in the middle of trying to be able to be reelected, um, and uh, whether they uh, stray from from a spot where they can be reelected uh, is something that. Of course, we won't know until the election results are in, but uh, uh, that's clearly at play. Uh, Jared Golden uh, decided to split his vote on the articles of impeachment. Um, right, which seemed a, to that's upset That's an interesting everybody. calculation. Right. I, I, from my perspective, I think that that, uh, in essence, gave people <laughs> on both sides reason to be concerned. Uh, 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 Senator Collins has often uh, taken votes that uh, defied uh, her her party uh, when those votes did not count, and uh, has often taken votes with her party when the votes do count. That pattern is one which uh, I'm expecting to see play out some here, so that um, I'm going to guess that she will not have a deciding vote on something that goes against her party. I'm going to guess that if she votes against her party, it will be protected by uh, other uh, other votes that uh, make her vote not a deciding vote. And over the weekend, it was uh, reported by a lot of the major mainstream news outlets that she has the lowest approval rating of any senator in the country. Mm-hmm. She's clearly suffering for the role that she played in the Supreme Court uh, uh, process Kavanaugh, with yeah. uh, Kavanaugh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, she also, uh, as people may not remember quite so well, but our Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, uh, Senator Collins had a deciding vote on, on that uh, nominee in committee and voted uh, for the nominee, uh, did not have a deciding vote on the nominee on the floor and voted against. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an example of what I had mentioned earlier. Uh, so I, I, I would not be surprised to see that similar behavior. On the other hand, um, 
I know that her, she's often uh, seemed to be uh, trying to fill the shoes of uh, Maine's famous senator, uh, Margaret J. Smith, and uh, uh, may have a, a moment of consciousness, a conscious, uh, a, a moment of conscience, I should say, and, uh, and do something that is remarkable. Um, Let's take a break and take a call. And uh, as we're going to the caller, let me uh, remind people you are listening to Maine Currents. And we are talking about both the impeachment process that's going on and we're going to shift gears and kind of including elections 2020 in there as well. The number into the studio is 469-0500. If you have a question for my guests, Amy Freed, uh, professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at University of Maine, and uh, four-time state representative Ralph Chapman, who represented the Blue Hill area several times in that area. Or if you just want to let us know what you think about this, the number is 469-0500. We'll take this call. We only have one phone line in, so uh, you'll get a busy signal until this caller is done. But feel free to just keep calling, and you'll get through as soon as we're done talking with whoever's up next, which is you. What's your first name, and where are you calling from? Uh, Frank Lemoyne. Hey, Frank. And the engineers said not to use any foul language. The only foul language I use is Susan Collins. She <laughs> has it down to a fine science on how to do that little tightrope thing. But oh, Frank, hold on. Frank, Frank, let me hold, hold on just a second. John, put that in selection just number one up there on the top of the board. There we go. Okay, I think that might help. We're having uh, getting some feedback with you, Frank. Go ahead. I have my radio off, and I'm not on speakerphone. All right. Anyways. That's it. I mean, Susan Collins, that's it. she put Margaret Chase Smith. I mean, she's dreaming. Um, <laughs> and too bad we didn't impeach. I didn't know. I, didn't, I forgot we could impeach people locally. We should have impeached what this name there with Well, and they, Susan Collins has got down, down to a fine science. But hope, hope finally they're catching on to her and her little act of that she's going to vote a certain way. And she's never going to vote a certain way. She's always going to vote the Republican way. Which McConnell Okay. That's my comment. Thank, thanks, Frank, and thanks for keeping it brief. Uh, not sure what's happening with the phone line, but uh, I'll also check my email. So if people want to send comments, if you don't want to do it by phone, <coughs> excuse me, and you'd rather send it to news at weru.org, I will watch that as well. Uh, so, but there were efforts to impeach uh, LePage, and actually many of the Democrats were opposed to that. As I recall, that is correct. Uh, the state house major party leadership on both sides of the aisle opposed the impeachment processes uh, aimed at uh, potentially impeaching Governor LePage during his tenure. Uh, one of the things that the news media is not privy to are caucus meetings, um, uh, especially off-site caucus meetings. And prior to uh, – so I, let me back up for a second. An impeachment vote never came up in the House of Representatives in the Maine legislature. But a procedural vote on establishing a committee, a House committee, to make recommendations regarding impeachment uh, did come up. And uh, that procedural vote was the signal as to whether or not uh, we'd be moving in that direction. Uh, as, uh, as the only one of the 10 uh, state 
representatives that represented some part of the uh, Blue Hill Peninsula, uh, I was the only one that, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Hancock County, uh, t there are 10 representatives that represent a piece of Hancock County, and I was the only one that voted in the direction of enabling uh, a House committee to be formed to make recommendations on impeachment. Uh, and it, part of the reason why the Democrats voted against moving ahead with that was their party leadership asked them to uh, vote against it. Now, the party leaders themselves uh, voted for it, but uh, the, the control that the party leaders have in the in the background. So wait, you're saying the important. party leaders voted in favor while at the same time telling everybody else to vote against? Yeah, this is this is actually more typical than uh, the public might recognize is that the vote the uh, the legislature is controlled by the party leaders and their control is not always represented by the way they vote. Uh, there are times when they will ask people to vote the same way they're voting, but there are other times when they will tell people how they would like them to vote, and then the party leaders themselves vote differently. Uh, the two major examples that I know of, uh, one was this impeachment matter, but another was the uh, ranked choice voting matter. Uh, the leadership, uh, the Democratic leadership all voted in favor of ranked choice voting, but were able to get 15 of their caucus members to um, reverse their votes in order to undo what the citizens uh, had put into law. Wow. Well, let's kind of shift gears a little bit into talking about uh, the the upcoming election, the presidential race in particular. There's a lot going on, and we're going to be on the third Tuesday of every month covering elections and probably impeachment up through the end of the year. So we'll just touch on things probably today that we'll get into in more depth later Again, phone number is 4690500, and the email address is news at weru.org if you'd like to send in a comment or a question. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that's being uh, talked about with the primaries for the Democrats is the fact that the um, New Hampshire and Iowa are so prominently placed, you know, being early and also being very white not very diverse. And so there's some discussion about whether or not that is really the way to go and giving like a head start to the candidates that the people in some of the whitest states really like, especially now that the field is narrowing down and there are fewer people of color and fewer women represented, although I'm not sure that that's um, the women will be as affected as people of color possibly. Uh, Amy Freed, what do you think about that? Is that uh, is that a factor that should be taken into consideration? Is it, I mean, would Iowa ever give up their spot? It's kind of like what they're known for. Should they be considering that? It's, it's a very difficult thing for the Democratic Party, given the previous history. But I do think that there should be some changes, because it, it is definitely true that those states are not representative of Democratic electorate, you know, I mean, you look at I, my view of the presidential nomination for the Democratic Party is that you can't win it overall. You can't win it unless you win among people of color, particularly among African-Americans. There's just so many African-American voters who are, who are among the Democratic electorate overall nationally. And you have to do well among African-Americans twin, yet you start out with these two very white states, Iowa and New Hampshire. So, you know, this particular 
primary season, the candidate who does best among African-Americans overall is Joe Biden. And yet, you know, you don't really get to a state with a lot of African-Americans until the fourth contest, which is South Carolina. Nevada has a fair number of people of color, um, mostly Hispanic, but also African-American, but not as much as South Carolina. And then Iowa and New Hampshire are very white. So I think, you know, ultimately that is an issue, but it's not something that's going to change very quickly. You know, it's certainly not going to change this time. And then somehow in between, a lot of times people forget about these issues and we only start talking about it again when the next set of primaries are coming again. What would it take to uh, get somebody, get that switched around? Do the states have to voluntarily each decide to what order they're going to go in? Does the DNC control that somehow, or how does that work? Well, I know that New Hampshire has a state law that it's going to be the first primary, so they are all lined up for that. You know, and this also relates to something else with Iowa, which is that Iowa has caucuses, not primaries. Well, Maine just changed from caucuses to primaries for uh, the presidential contest because we know that the turnout is lower for caucuses and you get better representation if you have a primary. Of You know, you, it, there were several states back in 2016 that had primaries and caucuses and you got different results depending on the caucus or the primary. Washington State, for example, went very heavily for Bernie Sanders in the caucus, but then the primary went the other way. So, you know, you just it, it, you can get different results depending on the process. Is that because but, caucuses require more commitment? I mean, the activists show up at caucuses because they take all day and they're, you know, you have to be interacting, whereas a primary, you just show up and vote? Yeah, there's differences, and you get you get differences by age. Um, it can be often hard for older people to go to caucuses, uh, depending on what time it is. Particularly if you have children that you're taking care of, if you have someone else that you're taking care of, if you're working at night, if you're working, you know, depending on when it's scheduled or working on the weekend, if it's scheduled during the weekend, you know. So yeah, caucuses just take a lot more energy and a lot more time and um, you know, so, I mean, that's another issue for Iowa. If Iowa were to change, some people want Iowa to change to a primary, well, then they would run into issues with New Hampshire. And the, the, the some of this is, yeah, some of the, the parties also have their own rules about all of these things. I mean, one of the things about party rules is, this year, with the, the new primary, the pres, new presidential primary in Maine, it isn't. There were, there were, it, it's going to be done by like sort of normal voting rules, where you just go and vote the the older system, the non-ranked choice system. But in the future, it's supposed to be done by ranked choice. But the thing is, the Democratic Party has this rule that if you get 15% of the vote or more, you will get delegates. So in a way. Why even do ranked choice for a primary in Maine if you're going to have people who get 15% of the vote or 20% of the vote getting delegates? You know, like there's no reason to add it all up and get someone who wins a majority through the, through the um, various instant runoff rounds. Right, right. That'll change that. You were actually, uh, Ralph was saying before we went on air that this 
the reason that there's not going to be ranked choice voting this time is because uh, Governor Mills let it sit unsigned, so it will go into effect next you, time. Yeah, next time around. Right. Well, but I don't see how that, that they'll still have to work out that you can go through, do the ranked choice, and yet the delegate selection rules won't be consistent. Because I don't see the Democrats changing that, that having some kind of, um, you know, way of allocating the, the delegates, um, not having winner take all. There hasn't been winner take all for Democrats for many decades. They just, it's that got done away with you know like i think in starting in 1972 it's been a long time hmm. so there'll be winner take all rules i mean there won't be winners take all rules for democrats so what kind of is the point of ranked choice that's my view of it well let me just jump in and remind people you are listening to weru's main currents i'm amy brown my guests today are amy freed professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine, and uh, Ralph Chapman, who you may know because if you live in this area, he may have been your representative for many years. He's a a former state representative from the Blue Hill area and surrounding towns. And if you would like to call in and join the conversation, anything about uh, the upcoming elections or the impeachment process, give us a call at 469-0500. John Greenman standing by to put you through, and I'm also watching my email at news at weru.org if you'd rather send a question that way. And uh, so coming out of and just checking, don't see any emails, so so we're all set with that, but if you want to email, do that now. I'll just keep checking. Coming out of the primaries, how much momentum does that give candidates is that like a big power boost for whoever wins the first couple that we're talking about are being very um it's a not in non-diverse kinds of states is that an unfair advantage for those folks who who win there it definitely can make a difference i mean if it's a candidate that a lot of people don't know that much about there's going to be an enormous amount of publicity for that individual um and it can create some sort of change i mean actually the fact that obama in 2008 in Iowa was was evidence that he could attract um, support from white voters, and it caused a lot of black voters to move towards him and away from Hillary Clinton because, you know, before he was seen as maybe not viable given, um, you know, that, his, that he was African-American by African-Americans who were concerned that he wouldn't be able to get elected. But once he won in Iowa, it helped him a lot. And you can see people who are less known getting some kind of boost from doing well because all of a sudden they're going to get a lot of publicity, like let's say a Mayor Pete kind of person would win. Not really that well-known nationally. It would, make a, it would make a big difference. Typically, also, there are candidates who don't go on after doing badly in the first few states uh, because they just are unable to raise money and they tend to lose support. Um, so, you know, it, 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 you, so you really get a, a winnowing down of the field as a result of what happens early on. NBC is reporting today that uh, Hillary Clinton has said, has said that she will not commit to backing Sanders if he gets a party nomination. Uh, it's a quote from a, um, I believe it's a Hulu special that's about to come out, uh, or series, yeah, four-part Hulu documentary called Hillary. 
Uh, she's quoted as saying he was in Congress for years. Uh, he had one senator support him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney, and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. Either one of you have any thoughts about that? I, I wish this was TV so you could see Ralph's face. <laughs> I, I, I would say that uh, what invariably happens in politics is that one begins to focus on personalities and the people involved, and, and one moves away from the, the, the structure of government, the policies of, of individuals uh, trying to steer uh, or, or be leaders. Uh, I, I think one of the things that comes up for me is a question of what constitutes good leadership. And good leadership in, our, in, in, in politics uh, is, is often attributed to those who uh, speak loudest and, and boast or uh, are, are what I'll call egocentric. And uh, in, in my experience, real leadership is really the opposite. Uh, a real leadership is getting things done in the in the background. Now, perhaps that's why I don't make a good politician. Um, but uh, nevertheless, you served four <laughs> terms until your term limited, limited out, so you had some skills. Uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, I think that the nature of leadership is something worth thinking about because uh, I, I've had often said when I was, uh, was in the legislature that um, I was impressed by the leaders in my community, but invariably they were the ones that were getting a lot of things done and were um, uh, self-effacing. They were uh, humble in, in, in their manner. Now, a, a little bit of humility would go a long ways in our current uh, national no politics. No kidding. Social media, I think, is actually just rewarding the opposite and has kind of created or at least reinforced a monster to a large extent. And that brings me up to thinking uh, that uh, if we think about the, the social climate that we're in, we, we need a social climate change or a, a social climate realignment uh, to, to get back to the human connections, uh, people talking to people, people uh, sharing ideas. Uh, uh, debating issues and, and getting away from uh, personality uh, attacks and uh, and so forth. It, it, it's not helpful to to characterize someone by uh, reference to their character. Uh, we, we can make our private judgments, and in the privacy of a voting booth, uh, that may come to, to to play as to which person we're voting for. But um, I, I think in the public discourse is much better if it's kept. Uh, away from the personalities. Mm. Amy Freed, do you want to comment on that? Uh, I going. Really actually would rather not comment <laughs> on it because I'd like to see the full, you know, like what her context mm -hmm. was and what she said overall. Uh, but, um, yeah, I guess there are still divisions within the party. And I, I just, you know, but she's not, it's not as if, Hillary Clinton is a candidate right now, so I I think we should sort of set some of this aside and and move forward. Well, in a bigger kind of taking a step back, but on the same uh, it, in the same vein, you had the recent little uh, picked up on a not exactly a hot mic, but somehow CNN apparently had to spend several hours figuring out a way to get the audio from that little exchange between uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren after the last debate. Uh, the Republicans, especially the Trump supporters, uh, seem 
that well that some people call it the Trump cult. They seem almost uh, cult-like in some ways in terms of the fact that they will like Trump has infamously said he believes he could go shoot somebody and and they would still support him. On the other hand, and it is a different situation with primaries going on right now or with uh, several candidates going on right now hoping to win the nomination. The Democrats are starting to be a little bit more critical of one another. What what do you think about that dynamic? Do you think it's just because they there are several of them running for this nomination now and they think that's a good tactic? Or is there something inherently different about the left and the right that causes one to kind of cannibalize themselves to some degree uh, and the others to just be more in lockstep more frequently? To me, this is an excellent argument for ranked choice voting. Um, if the candidates relied, and in fact, that's one of the features of a caucus system, is that uh, the, the caucus at least has uh, sort of two levels of, of candidate ranking in, in the caucus, caucus in Iowa, that is. Uh, but ranked choice voting helps to... Uh, uh, downplay the uh, animosity that one candidate will show to another because they may need the other candidate's supporters to be their second or third choice and uh, give them the, the, a winning edge. Uh, that's one of the strong arguments for ranked choice voting. Um, clearly, that's uh, – uh, to, to me, um, from my personal experience um, – I avoided um, personal attacks with my opponents in part because I don't feel as though I was desperate to win the election. Uh, I wouldn't have run run had I not wanted to win, but to me it was not that personally important. That is to say, if my constituents selected my opponent, um, uh, then I'm uh, happy to <laughs> have them have my opponent as their representative. Uh, and Consequently, I never faced the the personal uh, ambition-driven desperation that happens when you think you might might not make it. I think that that's what played out with the uh, the uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, Bernie Sanders interchange at the end of the last debate was uh, fueled by uh, the desperation of. Uh, I, I think on the part of Elizabeth Warren particularly, who uh, needs to be uh, doing better than she is in Iowa to have some momentum to carry on. Well, I mean, what I'm seeing from my friends, you know, uh, who are the Sanders supporter thinks Warren is lying and the Warren supporters think Sanders is lying. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those examples of you – tend to have a perspective depending on what side of it you are um you know i i won't say any more than that though i, I don't think that interchange helped either one of them though i think that interchange no. hurt both of them i, I think it did ultimately as well i think we had a uh, call with a question that didn't get pushed uh, through about how and i actually had this as a question as well in what races will ranked choice voting be used in this? There are a lot of things we're going to be voting on in November 2020 and, and also in the lead up in terms of the uh, primaries. So where is and where isn't ranked choice voting used now? 
Ranked choice voting is used only in the federal elections and the primaries of those elections. And that means the uh, U.S. representative race, both the primary and the general election, and the um, U.S. senator race, both the primary and the election and the general election. Well, they, they can also be used in the main primaries. If, if you recall, the, they were, it was used in the gubernatorial primaries, and I believe there was one state legislative primary race as well. Uh, that, that's correct. I, I stand corrected. Um, it will not be used for the state-level races for, um, uh, in the general election for state representative or state senator or governor. Well, governor's not on the ballot this time, but... Uh, and to further add to the confusion, I wish I had actually um, the citation for this. Uh, so if this sounds like it doesn't make sense to either of you, then maybe I'm wrong. But I believe I had read that the Democrats are going to have the primary process but have caucuses anyway. Mm-hmm. That they're go- Is that correct, Amy? Is Amy free? Right. There's going to be caucuses uh, to choose delegates to go to the state convention. And in the past, the caucuses, you know, that's that they were used for that as well. So they'll be uh, when there weren't primaries. Um, I'd also uh, mention with the with ranked choice in the fall, it is going to be used for the presidential. Maybe Ralph said this, but I missed it. Uh, uh, used in the presidential election, and it will be used both statewide, but also within each of the congressional districts, since Maine has that, you know, rather unusual system of being able to divide up the electoral vote. Hmm. All right. Well, it'll it'll people will be getting used to using this system. I think they're going to probably uh, there'll be more pressure to move it on to because the reaction after the initial time that we used it, I think people found it to be less complicated than it was trying to explain how it was going to work ahead of time. Sure. We have just about five minutes left, and I want to just wrap up with each of you. Uh, Making some predictions, if, if you would. If, if the uh, election was held today uh, for, the, for the Democratic primary, or, or, well, yeah, let's start with that. The Democrats, who do you think, and it sounds like the, the Warren slash Sanders ticket is maybe not going to come to fruition, <laughs> uh, at least not this week. But who do you think is, really has uh, the leg up? Who do you think is out ahead and, and uh, can make it through these next several months and uh, Amy Freed, do you want to go first? Well, I will first say that I absolutely hate to make any predictions and that what's going to happen <laughs> in the next few weeks are going to, you know, really make a big difference. Uh, but I'll still do it because you've asked me. Thank and you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll note that for future reference, so no predictions. Yeah, and I, I actually think Joe Biden is doing very well. He's he's held up more than people might have expected. There's been a few polls where he's done, doing well in Iowa. I'm not saying he's going to sweep everything, but maybe because of the whole Warren Sanders thing, and he's been left out of that. Um, he's managed to maintain while the two of them are kind of, you know, maybe not doing quite as well. And I think I could imagine him picking someone like uh, Kamala Harris or Amy Klobuchar to be a vice presidential nominee. Hmm. Thanks. Uh, Ralph? Well, I'll I'll take a flying guess uh, that Bernie Sanders will do do well, but uh, I I don't know that, of course. And uh, uh, I think that it's been helpful. I, I think the 
the, the multitude of candidates uh, trying to bring forth a variety of ideas from a variety of perspectives uh, has been very helpful. Um, uh, I, I'd like to see more conversations of the sort that the debates at least uh, got us started on. Um, but I, uh, um, predictions are not, uh, <laughs> not my forte. All right. Duly noted for future reference. And for future reference listeners, just so you are aware of it, we're going to be uh, doing these uh, election and I think probably we'll also be uh, continuing to include in it the impeachment focused editions of Maine Currents on the second edition of Maine Currents each month, which will be the third Tuesday from four to five o'clock. So we'll continue this discussion. Hope to hear from more of you. Get the phone issues sorted before we do that. And uh, yeah, so either one of you uh, want to give out Okay, now I thought I had an email for us, but it was something else. Uh, have any um, contact information you want to give out or, and or places that you recommend that people go that are great for information and staying informed? I'd like to recommend a, a small book by Timothy Snyder uh, called On Tyranny. He's a history professor at Yale and has written a book. Uh, a very, it's, a, it's, a, it's short. can be read in one sitting, I suspect. Uh, the primary uh, message is that tyranny isn't just something that happens at the top of government, uh, head of state. Tyranny is, is a dissolution of institutions at all levels uh, in government, and I think it's well worth understanding from a historical perspective that he brings how that works and what we can do to prevent it. Thanks. Uh, Amy Freed, about 30 seconds. Well, I would uh, reiterate that's a great book, absolutely, and I have found lately that I'm getting a great deal of use out of my pocket constitution. <laughs> if you haven't looked at your at a constitution lately, do go and read it. There are some parts that you know are very hard to know exactly what it means. What does establishing a religion mean? The courts have tried to figure that out, but there are an awful lot of things that are right there, very direct. And I and I think it's it's worth looking at it and looking back also at. Uh, some of the writings about the Constitution, like the Federalist Papers, how the Constitution was supposed to operate. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Again, my guests today were Professor Amy Freed, Chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine, and former State Representative Ralph Chapman. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture, now on the first and third Tuesday of each month at 4 o'clock. Uh, I'm Amy Brown. Thanks to John Greenman for engineering today. We've got Radio Eco Shot coming up next. And tomorrow in this time slot, we'll have Power for the People with host Steve Call, when the topic will be all things about heating with wood and pellets here on Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming on WERU.org and on our really cool new WERU app that you can get at your app store. So check that out. Thanks for listening. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Finelli Pizzeria, 12 Down East Highway, Ellsworth, serving thin crust pizza pies and slices, craft beers, sandwiches, and subs, and opening at 11 a.m. daily. 664-0230-FinelliPizzeria.com. This is Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. The problem is...